Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Believe in Mariners podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, a podcast for Mariners fans with Mariners insight and Mariners insiders. Brought to you by betonline.ag. This is the Believe in Mariners podcast. Everybody charging Randy Johnson out there and the fans coming out on the field. 19 long years of frustration is over. It's finally happened. A perfect game by a Seattle Mariner. It was done by the king, Felix Hernandez. I enjoy it, Seattle. Yes, indeed. Everybody exploding with their lungs here. What's up, everybody? Episode two of the Believe in Mariners podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. We are getting closer and closer, finally, to Mariners playoff baseball. I'm going to be joined here in just a couple of minutes by Brandon Gustafson of uh, ESPN Seattle. Well, now it's Seattle Sports on 710, but Brandon will be with us here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Some disappointing news right as we tape this. We're taping this on Tuesday, just a few hours before the start of the Mariners doubleheader against the Tigers. Sam Haggerty on crutches, groin injury to the injured list. Abe Toro recalled, this stinks. You know, whether the Mariners win in the playoffs or lose in the playoffs, I want Sam Haggerty to be a part of it because Sam Haggerty has meant a huge amount to this Mariners team this year. You never thought that he would, but Sam Haggerty has been awesome for this team in a lot of ways, right? Number one, he's just been a good player particularly against left-handers, right? He had the homer against Lucas Lukey of the Yankees. He had a hit the, uh, the day after, what was it, the day after the 13-inning the marathon, he had a hit down the line. That brought in a run. I mean, Sam Haggerty has been great. He has won some games with his power and with his speed this year for the Mariners. He is a plus outfielder, right? The Mariners, Jesse Winker, I don't know that Winker will play the outfield in the playoffs, but Jesse Winker is not a good outfielder. And Sam Haggerty has been a good plus outfielder. So, one, I just feel bad for Haggerty. He's been a huge part of this team, and he's likely he's not going to be now in the playoffs, barring a deeper run for the Mariners. Two, not having Sam Haggerty makes the Mariners worse because Sam Haggerty has just been better than Abraham Toro. It limits the Mariners' versatility in that, yes, Dylan Moore can play the outfield, and yes, Adam Frazier can play the outfield. So there are options in the outfield, but Sam Haggerty has been a very good outfielder. I mean, how many sliding catches has Haggerty made this year playing both left and right field? So he just afforded them a level of versatility that some of the other guys don't, or at the very least, you're going to compromise Dylan Moore if you have to put him in the outfield, and now you've lost him in the infield. So Haggerty not being there is a big blow, a Big blow, and I'm certainly, I feel for him, and I'm going to miss him. Other roster moves, Justice Sheffield is up today, is uh, the 29th man on this doubleheader. I got to tell you, Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times posted Mariners roster moves, and uh, as I started seeing all the guys there, I'm like, oh boy, who else is hurt? Who else is hurt? Well, Haggerty we knew about. 
Sheffield up as the 29th guy. I hope he pitches, right? It's, this is all about now. This is no longer about chasing Toronto. This is about just getting healthy towards the playoffs and resetting your bullpen. So I want to see Sheffield pitch today multiple innings if he has to. I don't want to use Matt Brash. I don't want to use um, – you know, I, I don't want to use guys more than they need to be used. So Sheffield, I'm glad he's there. Hope he pitches multiple innings. To, uh, you know, get guys work that might need it, right? Paul Seawald could use an inning. Eric Swanson could use an inning. I don't want to see, you know, I don't want to see, uh, you know, I, I don't want to see guys overextended. And then finally, good to see Julio back last night at this point. Three hits, including an RBI double, 110 mile an hour single to start the game there in the first inning off Garcia. So good to see Julio back out there. And uh, the topic at hand for me, and I'm going to I'm going to ask Brandon about this in just a moment, is Robbie Ray. I mentioned this at the end of episode one. I really worry about Robbie Ray in the playoffs against the Blue Jays. And I want to make this clear. I do not think that Robbie Ray is bad. Not, not even a little bit. I know he leads this team in quality starts. I do not think that Robbie Ray is bad. But I worry about him in an environment against an all-right-handed hitting good lineup. And that's what Toronto is. Bo Bichette, Vlad Jr., Lourdes Gurriel, Teoscar Hernandez, uh, Alejandro Kirk. doesn't really matter where you go, George Springer. The Blue Jays are right-handed dominant. And I've just seen Robbie Ray struggle too many times. Right? You look at the good teams that Robbie Ray has pitched against this year. And there are some concerning stats, right? Against the Braves, one game, they hit 348 off of them, two home runs, uh, eight hits. That's not real encouraging. The White Sox, now that game was in the rain. I understand that. They hit 370 off them. He gave up 10 hits. That's another pretty right-handed hitting lineup. You look elsewhere. Houston hit 442 off of him this year. 23 hits in 52 at-bats for the year. You know, yes, he pitched well against the Yankees. He pitched well against the Twins on opening day, so he has done it. But you look at the good teams here. The Blue, the uh, the Rays hit 259 off of. I just he makes me nervous. Right-handed hitting lineup, and Robbie Ray to me does not throw enough strikes. Yes, he's been worth the investment. Yes, he appears to be a team leader. I'm not saying any of that, but I'm not questioning any of that. But he's going to strike you out, and he's going to walk you. And in the playoffs, you can't afford walks. And you don't strike guys out as easily. So I do worry about Robbie Ray in the playoffs against Toronto. I, I love Robbie Ray against, you know, usually Oakland, despite what we saw the other day. I love him against the Angels. I love him against Washington when he pitched. I love him less against this lineup in that building. It is the Believe in Mariners podcast. Let's get to Brandon Gustafson of uh, ESPN 710, or rather, again, Seattle Sports on 710. Brandon, before we get into my million-dollar Robbie Ray question, let's just talk about Friday night because you were there, you were at the game, you were on the field. What was it like for those of us 3,000 miles away? <laughs> it, it was really cool. Um, it, it, was, it was kind of about as perfect for that team, just the, the way this team operates really good pitching, great bullpen, close games, clutch hits, seen so many walk-offs from so many different guys. I mean, I thought it was really fitting that Baltimore lost or earlier in the day and that the Mariners had to do it on their own. It was the, it was the perfect way to end that. And, and Cal Raleigh being such a key part of this team for somebody who was actually demoted earlier in the year and then 
turning into such a, a, a key part of this team, kind of a, an unsung hero, really, when you when you look at it. Uh, it, it was awesome. The, the fans were incredible. I, I, I tweeted about it. I compared it to a powder keg. Like, every fly ball in the air for either team, everybody's up on their feet looking, right? Like, nobody knew what was going to happen. You had you had close to 50,000 people there. It was just an electric atmosphere. And then a lot of a uh, lot of relief, I think, would be the word that I would use once that ball stayed fair and, and slammed off the Hit It Here Cafe window. What was the post game celebration like like my favorite part was the was the team dance the entire team and entire staff dance victory oh, yeah. dance afterwards awesome. but that from to, to scott saying let's party and uh, the post game stuff matt boyd almost made everybody cry like the whole thing was special what was it like from your vantage point yeah the special is definitely the right word for it it was this huge celebration on the field coupled with just uh, like you said yeah 60 70 people doing the big old team dance right there by first base and then uh they're out there celebrating for another 10 minutes or so before they go into the clubhouse and uh they got to do their talk and the initial champagne pour before before myself and most of the other media were able to get in there and then it was it was just crazy you had you had champagne and beer flowing. You had cigar smoke in the air. I mean, most of the pe- most of the guys were just kind of in the middle, just dumping stuff on each other, hugging each other, just going absolutely insane. You had guys like like Jesse Winker at one point was just off in a corner, and I was like, "Is he okay? Like, is he just not is he not happy that he wasn't a key contributor to this?" So I went up and talked to him, and he pulls out a cigar out of his pocket, lights it up, and he's like, "Man, I'm just soaking it all in." Like, so you had all these different kind of reactions to to it from a player's standpoint, and. We're in there for 20, 30 minutes. Then all of a sudden, everybody starts leaking out of the clubhouse, and we're like, what's going on here? We go out, we go through the tunnel, we go out through the dugout, and you kind of look up, and everybody's still there. There's still 45, 50,000 people still there just going absolutely insane, and then that's when Scott addressed the crowd, and uh, there was a fireworks show afterwards. It was just a, it was a perfect Friday night for, for Seattle fans that have been starved for this for, for 20 years. It was pretty cool. It's so funny you say that about Winker because I can't tell if he's just kind of fun and goofy or if he's a little bit detached, like over the last couple <laughs> of months. Like, what is Winker he's, like? He's he's an interesting dude. I mean, I I don't get to make it down to every home game. I wish I did. Uh, the the job just doesn't allow for it. But I I get down to most weekend games, and uh, whenever I'm there for Scott's little pregame media session, which takes place in the dugout. Uh, Jesse likes to make his presence known when he goes out through the the tunnel onto the steps onto the field. He likes to shout something just kind of like, okay, yeah, we, we know you're there at this point. So I think he's just kind of a goofy dude. who just kind of goes by the beat of his own drum. He's a, he's a character. I know that. I mean, we've, we've seen it on the field, off the field, just talking to him. He he's a, he's an interesting fellow. That's for sure. You know, I have multiple questions off the same question or the same observation i mentioned this i had the guys from uh, mariner muse on in episode one and uh i mentioned this to them i'm really worried about robbie ray in this series against toronto now i don't think robbie ray is bad i don't think he's a bad investment i don't think he hasn't lived up to it it's none of that but robbie ray throws a ton of pitches i feel like every time i watch him it's like every batter's three two and yeah he'll get eight <laughs> strikeouts and yes then there's three walks and everybody that's not struck out or walked is three, two. And I just feel like the guys on Texas and the guys on Anaheim that chase the three, two slider that bounces in, it's not going to happen in the playoffs. So I feel like a more disciplined lineup and an all right-handed hitting Toronto lineup. I just see this as a terrible matchup. Like, I feel like if George Kirby had been lights out, there would have been a conversation because he wasn't, I'm sure Robbie Ray is going to get the ball and he was probably going to get it anyways. 
but I worry yeah. the most about his game in this series. Is that justified yeah. or over overly concerned? Well, he pitched really well against Toronto earlier in the year. They had that four-game series in Seattle. He obviously didn't make the trip to Toronto for both scheduling purposes. He pitched, I think, the day or two before that series started. And then obviously the the vaccination stuff was a part of it, and that's not an issue anymore um, just with, with Canada's new regulations. But uh, Robbie pitched really well against a, a right-handed heavy Toronto team in Seattle. So I think that that's worth mentioning. Uh, I, I get it, though. I mean, Robbie starts can can get a little sideways. And uh, I, I know I get texts all the time when he's given up a home run or two. And it's like, well, he won the Cy Young last year and he gave up the third most home runs in baseball. Like, I get it. It's just it's it's part of his game. Throws a lot of pitches. He's a strikeout guy. Um, yet, like you said, he was always going to get the ball uh, game two. Probably you figure it's going to go Castillo, Ray and then Logan Gilbert. If, if you had to kind of guess out that three man rotation. Um, worried probably wouldn't be the word I would use in part because the Mariners have a very good bullpen and have guys that can go multiple innings. So it's like, if you can go out and get five innings from Robbie Ray, potentially, and just getting full effort, full tilt. I mean, I still think they're going to be in really good shape in that game. What about all the, the not so good starts against Houston? And I understand Houston is the best team in the American league, but that's a right-handed hitting lineup full of veteran hitters that has given him nightmares all year. And I yeah. kind of put Toronto with where they are now, on that level, at least offensively. So I think that's where more of my worry comes from. Yeah, well, I, I think the difference between Houston and Toronto is Toronto will strike out. Houston is just one of the hardest teams in baseball to to get to strike out. And, and two of the hardest teams in baseball to strike out are teams that the Mariners might see in this postseason with Houston and Cleveland. So I, I get it. I, I, I know that people point to the Robbie Ray starts versus Houston. And I'm, I, yeah, that's, a, that, that's been a bad matchup for him, for them. Um, but I, again, I, I'd point to, he, he pitched really well against a, a full health Blue Jays team. Obviously that was here in Seattle, but I, I think that he's somebody that can, that can get that done in part because Toronto is going to go up there and be more aggressive and have a little more swing and miss than we've seen in those starts with the Astros. When it comes to playoff roster, how much weight do you put on optics and attitude? Like, I, I don't see Marco really getting the ball in this series, but I think optically he's got to certainly be on the roster for sure. Flexen, I don't see getting the ball, but he's got an $8 million deal. He'll be back next year. So, I, I like, you're going to rub somebody the wrong way either by not using them or leaving them off the <laughs> roster. But I also think you kind of have to because you have to maintain clubhouse culture and going into next year. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure based on the way it works is, is those guys, even if they are left off the roster, they can be in the clubhouse yes. and they can travel with the team. So that that is that is part of it, too. Um I mean, if it's if it's an issue of like, okay, say Chris Flexen, right? Like, okay, Chris Flexen versus Matt Festa, as Matt Festa is probably like the low end of those one inning relievers that the Mariners have. Like, if you're weighing between the, uh, I, I get it from like the the camaraderie perspective, but Matt Fest Matt Festa is more valuable to you, I think personally, especially when you have another multi inning guy like like Matt Boyd and potentially Marco Gonzalez. I mean, if you have two lefties that can go multiple innings, maybe it is Chris Flexen over Marco Gonzalez. At the end of the day, you are trying to win games, and I think you need to put the best 26 guys out on the on the roster. From an offensive perspective, what does think is Sam Haggerty going down yesterday? Because I think yes. Sam Haggerty and Dylan Moore are two of the two of the types of players that 
Mariner fans might not realize are so important to playoff baseball just because Mariners fans haven't been here in 20 years. But <laughs> but those winning teams have guys like like Dylan Moores and Sam Haggerty's. I mean, I, I would look at the Astros when they were really clicking and they won the World Series with a guy like Marwin Gonzalez, who's a switch hitter who could play all over the diamond, all over the infield, right? So I I think from a I think from a pitching perspective, it's gonna work itself out. But I do think unfortunately with Haggerty's injury, the 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 best bats and the best position players they're going to be down at least one guy in in that case because that that didn't look good having a groin injury having to kind of be helped off the field so close to so close to that first game and it sounded like he had crutches at his locker so hopefully that's okay but I think that could be a big blow if everyone is healthy am I assuming Julio in center Hanniger in right Kelnick in left and Probably. Winker the DH or Santana the DH <laughs> Um, probably would depend on the, on the starting pitcher, but Toronto's going to probably roll out mostly right-handed, uh, pitching. So it, it is interesting. I mean, it depends like, cause Carlos has been, you know, you look at the batting average and maybe on bases and where you like it, but he's come up with just so many big hits, big home runs. Whereas with, with Jesse, it just seems like those have been so few and far in between. And then, yeah. Obviously, it's like if he's not working to walk, it doesn't seem like he's that valuable at the plate. So I, I would maybe lean towards Santana at at this point in time, but but that's just me. And I, I'm I'm obviously I'm really high on Carlos Santana. I think that he's somebody that they need to bring back for next year. The crew over at at seven ten at Seattle Sports on your station, they've been advocating. Well, at least Mike Salk has been advocating to keep Terenz over Casali, and I would agree with that also offensively. Could you see them taking three catchers, though? That's tough. Um, the thing is, I don't think Luis Trenz is a very good defensive catcher, and I don't know if they necessarily would want to put him behind the plate in a playoff situation, and it just seems like they trust Kirk Casale more. It seems like Luis Trenz, more so than a backup catcher, is just another right-handed back, kind of like what we saw at the end of last year in the second half. He was DHing a lot. He was coming up, and he's pinch-hitting for guys. I could see them carrying three uh three guys at this point and i think that with, with unfortunately like we said like with haggerty's injury it's probably like maybe they bring up toro these next few days and then toro just doesn't make the playoff roster and kind of the the current bench sans sam haggerty is probably kind of what you're looking at where you're where you're keeping three catchers could you see any scenario where dylan moore starts at second over frazier even against a righty <sighs> Yeah, I mean, they've been playing Dylan a little more of late and and kind of, you know, he's been playing around the diamond left field. He's been playing some at shortstop, second base. I think they're just kind of getting him acclimated to all these different spots for all these different situations. And I mean, I, I think Dylan just kind of day in, day out puts together some of the best quality at bats that they have. And he he draws a lot of walks. He just gets on base. He hits the ball hard. He doesn't always get the results to show for it. But I think that that's something that they definitely value. And obviously the the defensive flexibility is a big help. But I mean, having a guy like that off the bench as a weapon as either as a pinch hitter, or pinch runner, defensive replacement, I think, especially with Sam Haggerty out, maybe that would kind of lend it to where he's still kind of coming off the bench and Adam Frazier starting against right-handed pitching. But I mean, if they're trying to get the best nine, in my opinion, out there right now, regardless of if it's a righty or lefty, I think Dylan Moore at second base makes the most sense. I just don't think that's going to happen at this point. What do we know about everyone's health at this point? Winker day-to-day, -day, Julio's back, Crawford's been in and out of the lineup, Cal's thumb. The team certainly is is banged up for sure. Yeah. They're, they, I mean, the way I would put it is they're healthy in the sense of they're available. <laughs> They're not yeah. healthy in the sense of, you know, they're they're feeling great coming into this. I, I think Julio's 
I think Julio's fine. Uh, that that was a situation where they were just being so extra conservative with him, given how important he is, and just that the playoffs were right there for them. They probably didn't need to put him on the IL, but it was it was a smart thing to do to make sure he was ready to go and he didn't have an instance like Oakland where he's playing two games, he then comes in for the third one, leadoff double, all of a sudden it locks up on him. So Julio's okay. Sounds like Suarez is fine. JP, I, I think it's his back has been kind of bugging him yeah. just year in, year out. I mean, he hasn't been the same guy at shortstop. See him running down to first base. He just looks a little stiff. Uh, yeah, Jesse kind of waiting and seeing. I mean, it seems like he's okay at the very least, not not a super serious thing. But, yeah, I, I think on the pitching side, they're, they're in really, really good shape. And then I think it's just at this time of year, you have so many guys that are banged up dealing with little things here and there. I don't think that it's really anything to be – super super concerned with but it's it's worth noting especially with, with jp's case just because he's just not the same defender this year and i think that's where you're really seeing that that impacted what do you think matt brash's role is because he's got unbelievable stuff he's another one though that can throw a ton of pitches and we saw it on the uh on the monday night game really wasn't very crisp against detroit so i mean so do you see him like robbie ray goes five brash six and uh, Castillo seven and Munoz eight and Seawald nine. Is, is, is he that fourth guy there in the uh, Casey Sadler role from a year ago, or is this too big a moment for him? No, they, they've really trusted him in some of those late situations. I mean, e- even, even Friday night, it was a tie game and they, they have all these different guys that they can go to in a, in a tie one, one game and with, with, uh, you know, playoffs on the line and they turned to Matt Brash after Logan Gilbert and he just went out there and, and shoved. I think Friday night was the best that he's looked all he was season awesome. since he's, since he's been a reliever. I don't think anybody in the world was hitting Matt Brash that that inning. He was unbelievable. (laughs) Having that ability to throw that hard of a slider inside to lefties. I mean, we see it with Andres Munoz and we see it with Matt Brash. That's just not easy to do. Yeah, I I think, I think Brash is that third or fourth guy. I mean, Seawald and Munoz have just been nails for these guys. And Seawald obviously has been trusted by Scott for for two years now. Um, But he really, really has trusted Brash. And it's interesting because I thought that Ken Murphy might be that kind of guy earlier in the year just because he's been so steadily consistent. But but Matt's been somebody that that Scott's turned to in, in late situations all year long. I mean, that that extra innings game against New York pitched two innings like that. That was and he he didn't need to pitch two innings, but they they went out there and went with him. So I think he's probably that third or fourth guy in there with, like you said, Castillo Munoz and uh, Paul Seawold. You know, I know they do the whole pocket thing rather than the traditional closer route, but could you yeah. see Scott going to Munoz for the the big three in the Blue Jays order? Because I'm not necessarily worried about Seawald. I don't want to over-dramatize it, but he he is, you know, he doesn't throw particularly hard. He can't, when he gets hit, he's going to get hit hard. You know, he gave up the two home runs to Atlanta. He gave up the home runs, you know, last week to, to Texas, I think it was like, I trust Munoz more than Seawald against Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette. Do you think Paul uh, uh, Service would see it that way? Yeah, I, I think I think that he kind of has turned to Andres in those situations where you know you have the you have the best pocket of the of the lineup coming up, and and it seems like he's really trusted Andres Munoz a lot. And Andres is somebody who, even though I mean, I think a lot of times when people think of bullpen matchups, they think right left. Well. They're super right-handed heavy in their bullpen. They kind of use Eric Swanson as the de facto left-handed matchup guy because of the splitter. But Andres has that ability to go out there and get any lefty out and any righty out. And I think that he's just, he's their best guy. And I think that if you kind of look at the numbers over the second half, I mean, you could make a case. He's been the best reliever in baseball up there with old friend Eddie Diaz (laughs) with the Mets. I mean, he's been absolutely incredible. He has arguably the best stuff of any pitcher in the game. 
101 to 103 with some life and that hard, you know, 90, 93 mile an hour slider. So I, I think especially given just right-handed heavy, the, like I mentioned earlier, they have some swing and miss. I feel like, I feel like Andres is going to be the the kind of de facto high leverage, you know, biggest spot type guy that we saw Paul Seawald in that role last year. Munoz is awesome. And uh, go figure. I was at the game where he had his worst game of the year. I went to one Mariners <laughs> game this year. It was the game in Boston where they got swept on that Sunday. The Munoz allows the walk-off grand slam to Franchi Cordero. I knew they were going to I knew they were going to lose. I knew they were going to break my heart, but that was horrible. Yeah, that was the turning point for him, though. Like, if you if I think he had like 10 or 12 scoreless outings after that. And really, if you kind of go look at his numbers this year, it's a tale of two things. Like beginning of the year through that point, which was the lowest of lows for him, like he had like a five five ERA after that game. And he's just been absolutely incredible for them this year and he's somebody who I thought going into the year would end up being kind of a high leverage guy by the by year's end and he's absolutely exceeded my expectations took him two months kind of like we saw with Diego Castillo who was terrible in April and May but those two guys really turned a corner and along with Seawald I mean that's just a really really potent three-man kind of back-end you know bullpen for you and Diego Castillo, I think, is kind of getting slept on because that dude has pitched a lot of playoff games for Tampa the last few years, especially their World Series run in 2020. And he's put up really, really good numbers, really good results in those playoff games. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. I had fun with the Mariner Muse guys about this in episode one. Uh, <laughs> when you think of the drought, so who are your, some of your favorite random Mariners, some of your favorite drought Mariners? <laughs> Uh, my, my, my good friend and my, my boss at, at uh, CielaSports.com would be mad if I didn't mention Andy Chavez. That's his guy. <laughs> Andy, Chavez. Andy Chavez. I know he was, I, these two guys were only here for a year, but I, I loved watching Chris Young at 610 throwing 87 at the top of the zone and just being really good. And it seemed like every, every game I went to that year was, uh, was a Chris Young start. John Jaso was only here for a year. He was another guy that I just, I thought a I perfect really, game. Yeah, he did catch a perfect game. Got the got the Rolex from Felix, and uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, the, he's not an unsung guy. And I just mentioned, him, but Felix was my guy. I I was a pitcher growing up. I pitched throughout high school and college, kind of in Felix's heyday. You know, I I I myself and other guys that I played with played against did the Felix turn, and we're trying to kind of act like him out there on the mound and everything. <laughs> like, so I, what's funny is when I think of the drought, I don't think of like my favorite guys. I think of all the bad teams that I watched, like staying yes. up until 10, 11 o'clock on school nights and watching like Michael Saunders is hitting second for you. Not that Michael Saunders was a bad player. It's just, he was put into a much bigger role and like, you know, they, they go out and they sign Sean Figgins and he's just terrible. Like that, that's kind of what I think about. It's just like, man, I stayed up late watching all these two Oh, two one losses for, all these years where they could only muster two or three hits and they barely leave the infield for, for, you know, three plus hours. Like that's what I think about. And then the other thing is like, I'm, I'm 27. I was six the last time that the Mariners made the postseason. I was in first grade. And I think of it like people my age who probably don't really remember that year and those first playoff seasons, like this is kind of their first taste of playoff experience along with the, the younger generation, these kids that are falling in love with baseball and watching Julio and Suarez and, and all these pictures that they have and just be like, man, I want to be like 44. Right. Like, I, I think that it's really kind of this interesting thing where you have people my age experiencing it kind of for the first time. And then you have like these kids that are under 10 that are experiencing it for the first time too, just like this big age gap with it. Uh, obviously we would have loved for it to end sooner, but I, I think overall just like, I think that part of it's pretty special. I think 
I go with you on the uh, the drought players. Like I think of the bad players. Like I don't like yeah. I I think of Felix and Seager and and those guys, but I think of like anytime Rob Johnson was in the lineup, like I'll never yeah. get over that emotional scarring. Um, I went to a game at Yankee Stadium. Chris Jakubowskis started, and Ronnie Cedeno was at second, and Chris Woodward was at shortstop. Like that was the lineup that was out there on that day. I think a play- Jeremy Reed will have a special place in my drought nightmare. So I think a guy's like that too. I'm, I'm yeah, you, so. I mean, it, it was just it was a, it was it's a long time coming. I, I'm really glad for Seattle fans, obviously here, far and wide, right? Like it's a it's a really cool thing. And I feel like there's just kind of this sense of relief up until Friday starts. Like, I feel like, you know, some of these games now that home field advantage in the first round for the top wild card spot, like now that's out the window, given what happened yesterday, it's just kind of this sense of relief. Like, okay, let's just get there and then see what happens. And then it'll be a whole different stress level. But, but from, you know, kind of Friday to to this Friday, I think it's just kind of this sense of like, thank God the word drought is not going to be a key part of our vocabulary anymore. Like it's been for the last so on years. Disappointed that it's likely going to be Toronto because if it was Cleveland, I was thinking about making the trip actually and going to trying to get to a game. Toronto is a little too tough to navigate for me, but I did go to a Mariners playoff game, 2000 ALCS game one. Uh, Let's see. I was 11 (laughs) years old. A-Rod homered for the M's. Mariners won, I believe, 2-0 against the Yankees. Freddie Garcia against Denny Nagel. So I have oh, seen a Mariners playoff game. There you game. go. <laughs> so, Brandon, man, we yeah, appreciate I'm, it. Uh, it'll, it'll be, uh, Friday will be fun. I don't know how, how the weekend's going to go, but uh, I'll have beer in hand and hat on, and I'll be ready for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that Mariner fans have fun with it uh, because even, even if the result doesn't end up what people are thinking of, this is a, this is a really fun team. This is a really cool tight group that was able to be the, the group that ended up ending this. And uh, hopefully they're able to make it through those three games, uh, likely in Toronto, and then we're able to get them back home at least for, for two games in the uh, ALDS. I'd be very curious uh, as I, I, one more question comes to me. It's yeah, sure. easy for the Mariners to kind of just replace the Seahawks this year because the Seahawks aren't expected to be very good. I'd be very interested in the case study. If the Seahawks were good, how the fan breakdown would be. Like, is Seattle turning into a baseball town on the ground? I've I've always contended, and I, I know some people agree with me, some people don't. I personally think a Mariners World Series would mean more than, a, than the Seahawks Super Bowl did. Because it would be more the, to me, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and and same for me. And I I that might part of it might be just like what you know people think it was a tortured fan base and and whatever. But like it just always felt like the Seahawks were going to do that, and it just always seemed like maybe winning a Super Bowl was a little bit easier than than winning a World Series. Just given like in the NFL, everybody's kind of on an even playing field, whereas with MLB, you have so many different factors too with payrolls and and whatnot. But I've always contended that that a Mariners World Series would end up meaning more than than a Seahawks Super Bowl. And I think that even if the Seahawks were good this year, I, I think people would be absolutely buzzing about this. E- even dating back to last year, like just just to go on a quick little story here, week four of the Seahawks season was against the 49ers. And they were one and two at that point, but Russell wasn't hurt yet. And they were, you know, still high expectations. They won the NFC West the year before. And that was also game 162 for the Mariners and they were down a game. They needed a win and some help in order to, to sneak into the tiebreaker before the wild card game. And nobody was watching the Seahawks. No, nobody I was talking to was watching the Seahawks. Everybody was watching the Mariners, even with that sliver of hope 
everybody at our station was paying attention to the Mariners that day. So I, I think that even if the Hawks were 4-0 at this point, like I think the Mariners would still be the talk of the town. And I think that their playoff appearance just means a lot more to people than, than a number of Seahawks playoff appearances. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.